What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Casper Stilsvig of AC Milan. AC Milan was recently acquired by Redbird Capital for $1.3 billion. This included minority investment from U.S.-based enterprises like the New York Yankees and Main Street Advisors, the latter of which counts athletes and entertainers like LeBron James and Drake as LPs in their fund. So I visited AC Milan's headquarters last week and sat down with their chief revenue officer, Casper Stilsvig. We covered everything from how the club makes money today, what might change with Redbird running the show, lessons learned from the failed Super League, and where the plan currently sits for their new $1 billion stadium. This conversation with Casper was a lot of fun, and the topics we discussed transcend far beyond just AC Milan. So I think you will enjoy it. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is sponsored by my friends at 8Sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer, and the 8Sleep pod is the ultimate sleep machine. 8Sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot, but now I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I have before. The pod is the only sleep technology that can maintain the optimal sleeping temperature for what your body needs. It's not just me who sleeps on the 8Sleep though. The product is so good that it's garnered the attention of CEOs, Olympians, UFC champions, and even the Mercedes F1 racing team. Even better, 8Sleep recently launched the next generation of the pod, the new Pod 3, enables more accurate sleep and health tracking with double the amount of sensors, delivering you the best sleep experience on earth. The pod isn't magic, but it definitely feels like it. So go to 8sleep.com joe to start sleeping cool and save $150 on the pod. 8sleep currently ships within the US, Canada, the UK, and select countries in the EU. Next up is Element. Element has been my cheat code over the last several months. The easiest endorsement I can give is that since drinking Element, I feel more energized and experience fewer headaches and muscle cramps. It's simple. I just add it to my water every morning and I'm ready to go. No sugar, no junk. There's a reason why hundreds of pro athletes and teams are using it, because it works. And now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. Get yours at drinkelement.com show. This deal is only going to be available through my link. So make sure you go to drink, D-R-I-N-K, Element, L-M-N-T, dot com slash Joe. Next up is MoonPay, the leader in Web3 infrastructure. Trusted by major crypto brands and millions of people worldwide, MoonPay is a portal to Web3, a place where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. As blockchain technology continues to integrate with sports all over the world, teams and leagues are looking for simple solutions to unlock their digital markets. That's where MoonPay can help. Whether you are a front office staff, a business executive, or a marketer, and you're looking to mint collectibles on the blockchain to create an NFT marketplace for your brand, MoonPay's technology can bring your digital strategies to life. So if you want to learn more, go to moonpay.com slash Joe. That's moonpay.com slash Joe. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, let's get into this episode. All right, everyone, I'm here with Casper Stilsvig today, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at AC Milan. Casper, how are you? Very good. Thank you for coming and, and welcome to Casa Milan. Thank you so much. It's an amazing facility. So congratulations on building this. When did this building open? So I think the building itself opened seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, but we built these facilities and a year and a half ago, we opened the studios, which is our in-house production facilities for all our media and content. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And for context for people who aren't here, this is where the majority of the employees operate out of day to day? Yes, correct. So everyone who works on the business side of things, they they would be based here. Obviously, we have two training grounds, one for the academy and, and one for the first team. And we also have employees based there. Gotcha. So one of the things I would like to start with so people have some context around your role specifically, right? You're the chief revenue officer of one of the largest football clubs in the world now. What does that role entail? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? What are you focused on from a commercial aspect and those things? Exactly. So it's a very broad role. So everything was as revenue-related is under me, except of league deals, which have to do with broadcast, and also, of course, sales of players has nothing to do with me. So everything from marketing, digital, ticketing, hospitality, sponsorship, partnership, retail, and e-commerce is an umbrella under me. And if I was to just think about this in the order of like the biggest items, right, from a revenue perspective, how does that look for a club like AC Milan? Is most of it still driven by broadcasting rights? Is most of it commercial sponsorship deals? Like just talk me through how you think of the pie, right, if we were to draw that. So the journey we go through at the moment, the centralized broadcasting deal is still the biggest revenue for a club like us. But the way where we're traveling, the commercial aspect will have much bigger impact. Within the commercial space, we see a huge growth in partnership, where we've done phenomenal over the last three to four years. But also this year, we luckily have 100% capacity in the stadium, so that's becoming important as well. An area we're really focusing on, and we'll talk about this later, is is retail and e-commerce. And that's an area we have more than tripled the revenue there. So we see an intense sort of interest in AC Milan for the time being. And one of the things I think a lot about, especially with American sports in general, right? If you, if you think about the NFL in America, the NFL is, is very big in America. The majority of the li- largest live TV audiences each year are NFL football games. Hundreds of thousands of people attend games. They have these large media deals where they make $10 billion a year. Very big. But there's been a focus recently on international expansion, right? Because if you saturate a market, what can you do from there? You have to expand geographically. It seems like AC Milan and other clubs like that are, are looking at similar things, right? They're trying to expand geographically and, and grow audiences outside of that. Can you talk about AC Milan's strategy there and just kind of how you guys think about international markets outside of Italy itself? Yeah. So so obviously, we are, we're the biggest club, but one of the biggest clubs in Italy. And the growth we're seeing is outside its borders. There is a huge interest for, for the club, for the brand in key markets. So we're very big with the the biggest Italian team in, in America, in the US, with the third biggest team, international team in China. So these are big economies. These are where there's a huge growth for football. And especially considering that uh, US, Canada, and Mexico will be hosting the World Cup next time round, we see there's a growth potential there. And what does growth mean? It's not only a lot in terms of more followers on social media, because it's very difficult to, to commercialize that. But it's simply growth in the sense that we need to make ourselves relevant. How do we do that? So obviously winning. Winning is, is not the cure to everything, but it's very, very important. And having won the Scudetto, we see an increased interest internationally. We as a club, we simply need to, to grow internationally. If we want to be among the top five in the world, the growth potential we see is not only in Italy, because it's restricted. We are one of the biggest brands, as I said. But also in terms of we have the stadium. Once you sell out the stadium, you need to find other revenues in order, and revenue streams in order to grow. And this is where we see the international market is very important. Yeah, it, it seems like one of the more difficult things would be convincing supporters or fans 
that have never gone to a match in person or might never go to a match in person to support a club or a team, right? Is that something that you guys think a lot about of how do we get these people to support our club without ever actually coming to San Siro or, or Casa Milan or anything like that? Yeah, and, and that's why we think that if you merge sort of entertainment, if you merge music and sport, you sort of hitting a, another audience. Yeah. And that's why we've done things quite different from other clubs over the last four years, because we had to. When, when the previous owner took over the club in 2018, we were not performing on the pitch. We were turning the club around. So we needed to look at alternative ways of promoting the club. So what we did was during the pandemic, we had, a, for instance, a digital concert where we have some of the biggest entertainers performing from their living room. We did this together with Rock Nation, and that was a music concert called From Meal and With Love, which, which is quite a cool concept. And all this, when you sort of promote yourself and you do it in a different way, you also have the opportunity to attract a different audience. And that's where we're looking at how do we merge these interests because ultimately it's also capturing the fan, but it's also important that we sort of stick out from, from the other clubs. Is AC Milan an entertainment company or a football club? Depends who you ask. Yeah. So, so that's a very sensitive question, but... I thought I was going to get you there exactly, for a second. <laughs> exactly. From where I'm sitting, we first and foremost, the product is football. But I do think that we need to see ourselves as an entertainment company. And the reason for saying that is... We need to make sure that when the performance on the pits are not according to plan, that people still get entertained. And how do we do that? So I always say to the team is we don't control the product on the pitch, but we control the product outside the pitch. And if we can develop an experience people will still come for, I think we've we done pretty well. Yeah. For those that aren't familiar, and I'm sure most people know at this point, from the outside looking in, AC Milan has had a few interesting years, right? Several years over the last five, six, seven years. Ownership has changed hands a couple times. There was probably some uh, debt-related problems relative to the ownership groups, and, and things are obviously going much better now. Ownership has changed hands again, with Redbird Capital taking ownership of, of the club now. What has that process been like for someone in your seat, seeing all of that kind of happen, and, and how difficult to kind of maintain that, that position moving forward, right? You're always trying to do new things or move forward. Is that challenging with new owners coming in? It's a very good question and very relevant question. And of course, it's challenging, but it's also a learning process. And I think the way we started out this journey with Elliot almost four years ago was focusing on cost and growing revenue. And it's not always easy to grow when you're not allowed to invest. And I don't know how many board meetings I attended where I'm trying to tell the board it costs money to make money, right? But, but you say that to, to a hedge fund, they don't really, they, they have their ways of doing things. So I think we learned a lot. So for we have been very blessed that we got the support from the board and, and from the previous ownership in order to, to grow. So we have had investments. We're sitting in one of them here. They had to believe in, in our strategy. But what we did was turning the ship around, right? So this was a massive brand which has been in decline for a decade, both on the pitch and off the pitch. So revenues in 2003, we were the same level of revenues as Real Madrid, and but we fell significantly behind during 15 years. So we turned it around. And how did we do that? We have a very clear strategy and then we start to grow the revenues. And I think the next phase now, and I, I believe so, with Redbird, is now we need to grow. So everything is focusing on growth. We need to invest more in various projects which drive revenues. But we will still have this sensible approach which we adopted during the ownership of Elliott. 
How do you tell the fans that process, right? Because I think the main difference is someone who looks at both European sports and, and American sports is, and I tell people this all the time, American sports, whether the fans admit it or not, they understand that the owners are trying to make money, right? They buy the teams. Most of them are still owned by individuals. Almost every major American league requires that. But then there's institutional owners underneath it. And they realize that they're trying to increase valuations. And if the team can win, that's usually a step in that process, right? Is that how you guys think about it also? Look, we, we were owned by a hedge fund. Now we're moving from another kind of institutional partner. But ultimately, if we win on the pitch, that will increase the value. And that's what you guys should be excited about. Yes, and but I think... The interesting part of European football is historically all the big clubs are owned by a local billionaire who is yeah. doing it out of passion. Unfortunately, that's not a sustainable model. The first two years we were here, we were not particularly popular among the fans until they understood why we're doing these things. Because this club have had some of the biggest stars playing for the club over the years. But the world of football has changed. The competition is harder, the salaries are harder, and the demands are harder. And I think once you keep sticking to your strategy, you don't fall into the trap of being pressured by fans, by the external forces, such as the media and the competition. And then you are sticking to your strategy, and your strategy actually seems to work. I would argue that we have changed the way you manage a football club, especially in Italy. And we're very proud of that journey. It hasn't been easy, but it was the right thing to do because you, you as a, any business cannot afford to lose 200, 300 million per year. And some of the competitors are doing that, but it's not sustainable. So you need to work within your, your remit. And I do think when you're successful and you say, no, we're not going to buy the superstars, we're going to create the superstars, and the fans actually see that we walk the talk, I think the fans externally, at least some of them, also see a pride to be a part of this journey. Because it's, it's a new chapter in the world of AC Milan, and, and we are very proud the way we're doing things. We have the youngest team, one of the youngest team, and the youngest team in, in the league and one of the youngest team in Champions League. We're focusing on youth, giving youth a, a chance instead of keep buying established stars. And I think this is the way forward. Uh, there's a lot of focus on that. And then focusing on doing the right things for the right reasons. So working very hard to drive revenues, sponsors, ticketing, retail, and so forth and also have new projects. And I think the fans can see this. This is not coming out of the blue. This is people really working hard, really committed, and hire some phenomenal people to, to go on this journey. But still, and most importantly, respecting the history yeah. of the club. Yeah, I think that's the important piece. And, and what I was alluding to, right, is the idea that with European football, it seems like the supporters care much more about the tradition, per se, yes. than, than maybe American sports. But one thing I would like to touch on is you guys won the league last year, which is amazing. The pictures and the videos looked incredible, looked like a lot of fun. But what does that do from a commercial aspect? What does that give you guys the ability to do? Did it increase revenue dramatically? Did it give you more partnerships or sponsorships? Just talk me through kind of that process afterward. Yeah, so, so I think because it happens everything so quickly, so it's not like you switch on a switch and the next day it's, it's floating in with, with, with cash. But it's a part of the journey. It changes the narrative when we go in to talk about partners, uh, with partners, with prospects. There's obviously a huge excitement. So on the retail and e-commerce side of the business, we obviously see a tremendous growth. But it's staying there. And I think the most important is showing the world that your strategy is working, right? So, so we walk the talk, that we have the right vision of doing things. But we, we do see an increased interest when you're champion. 
But the point is, and I'm trying to get across is, I cannot build my business around winning the championship every year because it's, it's uncertain and it's a, it's a competition. But of course, we have to seize the opportunity and run with it when we do it. But it can't go to our mind that we... So when we don't win, I don't want any excuses for not selling, right? So it goes both ways. Personally, I'm curious about your opinion on these portfolio companies that we've seen, these holding companies of clubs or teams, right? So if you think of Man City, Manchester City, Red Bull has multiple teams. Todd Bully, who just was part of a group that purchased Chelsea, has said he wants to do something similar. What are your general thoughts on, on the advantages that that gives a club? I, th- I do think it gives a certain advantage, and I think there's certain different buckets of, of clubs, right? If, if you're owned by a state almost, it gives you different opportunities. But I do think if you're doing it the right way, it does make sense. I'm not sure all the clubs are doing it the right way, but there's also other projects which, which doing it on a different level. You have a, a club like Right to Dream, which have a number of clubs in Africa and, and so on, which doing it for the right reasons. So I think it's an interesting model but it's about giving youth opportunity to to play at the highest level. And I do think that you will see, as you say yourself, there will be a lot of other private equity hedge funds going into this space in order to to utilize it and and, and believe they can do a better model than, than, for instance, Manchester City or Chelsea saying they want to do it. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the trends that we've seen, right, is American ownership specifically. They, they've certainly ventured over here. Five teams, I think, in Syria are owned by American yeah. owners and seven in the Premier League now. Why do you think that is? What's the trend there? Why are people coming over and making this a priority now? So the interesting part is that if you have a, from a European perspective, a smaller NBA team, they're usually valued much higher than a big European football team, obviously driven by the broadcast revenues which are in the American market. And I think that they believe that the European football clubs are undervalued. So when you compare, how can you have a small team, NBA team in, in, in the Midwest of, of US, uh, which is valued higher uh, as, as a team like AC Milan, for instance. So I think this is an undervalued asset, but I also think it's good to have that American input because there is a merger, as I said earlier, between entertainment and sport. The fans are changing. So we have the hardcore fan and so on, but this is becoming a, a global asset and we need to cater to that. And I think that's the opportunity that these assets are undervalued. I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you this, but but I'll do it and you can answer how you please. The Super League, we're about a year removed from that now. I don't necessarily want to talk about, you know, the cons or the reaction of fans and stuff like that. But in your mind, like, what were the pros and cons of that, right? It's a different model. I think Americans are more used to that style of model where it's a cap league and, and, you know, media rights are guaranteed and all these different things. Obviously, that's not the case in leagues over here. In your mind, what went right, what went wrong, just your general thoughts on, on how that all played out? I don't want to drill too much on it. It died after 48 hours, but yeah. it's still a project that's been probably bubbling along for, for many, many years. Never had the attention that it had a year and a half ago. There is a general belief that the bigger clubs are bringing more to the table than, than the smaller clubs, rightly or wrongly. We certainly invest much more in our business and in our commercial operations than a lot of other teams are doing, both on and off the pitch. I do think there has to be a model where, where the big clubs really buy into what UEFA is, is trying to achieve. That's why you have the ECA, which is working very closely to UEFA to, to, to have this. But if you think about it, if you take the big clubs out of, of the competition, is there really a competition, right? And, and should the big clubs have a bigger say? 
in, involved in this, potentially, they bring more to the table. It's the same as, as if, if you have a festival, right? You have the, the leading names and then you, then you have all the up and coming names, but people usually come to, to see the leading names. They also paid more, right? Here you're paid in terms of how you progress in the, in, in the competition, which is probably, as we stand now, a fair way of doing it. But I do think there has to be a collaboration in terms of how should it look in the future. So one of the things I think that you guys have done that's very intelligent and very smart is building this media house, right? And the, the idea that now you have studios where you can introduce players, you can do interviews like this, you can do all these different things. What advantages does that give you? I'm assuming you used to rent out facilities and do all Correct. these different things, right. and, and now you have it in-house. and give We have the, it in-house. Yeah. So from we more than double our content production over the last two years. So having it in-house makes life much easier and more simple. But it's also we give this opportunity to our partners. So all our, our sponsorship partners can actually produce content here. We use it for external. So we have a town hall meeting. We have sort of announcements here player announcements when we sign the contract with a new player and extending an existing player. But it just makes the flow much easier in terms of how we do things. And I do think that this is the trend that football clubs becoming media houses because we are producing so much content. And what we saw a few years ago is that all our fans wanted to know what's going on behind the scenes. What we see now is a trend that people want to go know what's going behind behind the scenes, right? So it's quite interesting, and we have the opportunity to, to produce some phenomenal content. We have a big team here. We're investing in this, and we see this is the future. And this is actually also something which makes us stick out from, from the other clubs because we have it on site, and we, we can show our partners. We can produce amazing content, and it's also a share of attention. And this is what we, we, we create here for the fans. Yeah, we live in a digital world now, right? Correct, and I, and I yeah. think that is a big piece of the puzzle with you guys expanding elsewhere is, is giving people the access online that they wouldn't be able to have in person or elsewhere. And it feels like a lot of sports leagues and teams are headed in that direction. People have partnered with Netflix, obviously, with yes. Drive to Survive. There's All or Nothing on Amazon and, and shows like that for sure. But it feels like there's a distinct advantage in owning it and operating it yourself, not only from control, but also the archives of everything. You have the ability to produce things when you want and, and just all of those benefits. It feels like that could probably help drastically expand your market, your, your fan base outside Absolutely. of here. So it's all about engagement, right? So, so before there was a huge focus on how many followers do you have, right? And what is that number really, right? So now we're talking about what is the percentage of engagement. So it doesn't matter if you have, uh, of course it matters that you have a lot of followers, but you also need them to engage. And I see there's sort of a competition off the pitch among the big clubs to be the most engaged and, and, and most interesting content provider. The way we look at it is we, we, we play in a, an, on the weekend, right? So how do you own the space from Monday to match day? And that's why the fans still want to be entertained. They don't only want to see what's happening when we play in Champions League or when we play in the weekend. They also want to be entertained every day. They want to feel close to the club. And us producing some phenomenal content makes our fans close to the club. They want to see what's happening in the training. They want to see what's happening in the business. It's important to know that. Secondly, I would say that being a, a, a content provider, we have to communicate with the fans every day. And when there's something news coming out, we have to say it immediately. It's not like waiting until the next day or a weekly newsletter because we're up against so many news outlets. If we don't tell when the new player's arriving, the local media will talk about it. So 
when we have these assets, we have these players, which naturally draw attention. So of course we need, we need to create content around it. I love that. I want to touch on the new stadium. I think uh, this is a project a lot of people are interested in. Yeah. Can you just give a general update on not only where we are, but why this decision was made and kind of where we go from here? So, so I think, first and foremost, need to understand that Italy is a country in Europe with the highest areas years, so, so the oldest stadium in Europe, right? So they are areas between 60 and 70 years. And obviously the infrastructure has changed a lot over the years. It's a revenue drive as well. So we are going, we're coming behind other clubs in terms of revenues when we compare ourselves to, to that. Because and you're we, talking about match day revenue? I'm talking about match day, but also non-match day. There's a huge opportunity there. And one argument I would say, which is even more important, is, is fan safety. We are in a very old building, and, and this is safe, yes, at the moment. But old buildings, we do everything to maintain it. But there's amenities as well in terms of just the, the basic ones, which we, we can't deliver to a, a modern-day standard. But if we have to compete with all the big teams out in, in Europe and, and worldwide, we need to have this additional revenue in order to attract the best talent and in order to keep driving revenues. And we're losing out on, on tens of millions per year by not having a proper venue. And being a foreigner, I'm originally from Denmark and I've been here for almost four years now, so coming from the outside and, and see what a fantastic country Italy is, the passion for football or, or soccer, as you say, is just phenomenal. But that you don't give the best facilities in the world is mind-boggling. Right? You come here and they're old, the hospitality product, where food is religion in Italy and you don't have particularly good service or food. It's just, it's just strange. That Do you that, think that's held back? Italian football in general, just from like a league standpoint and, and relative to others, right? That are I, I think until um, the 80s and 90s, the Italian league was the best in the world. It's where the best talent were playing and it was really a status symbol. And I do think it's held back with the development of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you look at, at Juventus, they got their own stadium 10 years ago and they, they just start to pull away from the other teams, right? Because they got this additional revenue. So I do think it's absolutely holding back the development of Italian football, absolutely. What does the process look like to build a new stadium? We were joking beforehand that it's, it's a long process. It's, 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 a, it's a long and complicated process. And Rome gave up, changed ownership, and now they're trying again, Roma, right? We are hopeful that we will get an answer within before Christmas, and we truly believe that. But the process is just too long, right? This is, this is private money trying to develop and do something for the better. And both the legal and the political system in Italy is not helping you to, to wanting to invest and then build new and better facilities. Yeah, and the last thing I want to touch on is the ownership group that's taking over, right? For those that don't know, Redbird obviously is going to be the primary owner here. They, they've acquired the club for over a billion dollars. Elliot did obviously very well relative to where they acquired the club and are selling it now. Redbird owns... 10% of Fenway Sports Group, which yeah. owns the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Boston Red Sox, Liverpool, a bunch of other sports assets. So they obviously are betting big on, on professional sports, both in the United States and abroad. But they've also brought on some other interesting partners, I would say. And it feels very intentional, right? We're talking about the New York Yankees, who are going to be minority owners, Main Street Advisors, which is an investment firm for a bunch of celebrities and, and athletes and entertainers in the United States. What does that package of investors give you guys, right? It feels like there's some synergies that can be, can be added there, not only from the professional sports side, but also the celebrity and the endorser side also. 
Yes, as I mentioned previously, I, th I think we have the same vision for the club because merging entertainment, sport, music, design, fashion into one is a unique opportunity because it's blurred lines. If you look at the players today, they're also fashion icons. They also like music and so on. But talking about the ownership, what they bring to the table is that knowledge to take this club to the next level and be a global powerhouse within the entertainment space. And I truly believe with their knowledge, with their network, that we can do this. We have a partnership with Yankees now, which we're very excited about. So Yankees are showing our weekly program on their network, the Yes Network, which will drive more fandom and more awareness of the brand in North America, at least on the East Coast. And this is something we will also bring to here, like to develop the Yankees brands outside the U.S. So there's a lot of projects, very interesting projects. So I hope we can talk about another time coming out of that collaboration, which will, again will, will change the way people look at football, people look at sport in general, and again, will hopefully create fandom and, and keep developing it. Is the future that most of clubs, not only in Italy, but, but in other countries also, will be profitable long-term, right? Because going back to your comment earlier about losing money and billionaires kind of just funding it and writing money off, that doesn't feel sustainable. And it feels like you guys are headed in the opposite direction where you're, you're ensuring that the club can survive if no checks are written, right, annually. Exactly. We, be, we have to be a sustainable business. Full stop, we have to be a proper business. Yeah. And I think you see a lot of European franchises are not proper business. Uh, sometimes the business side of the club is an afterthought, but we, we are seeing ourselves that, that we, we are really creating a proper business here. And this is the reason we have so much potential. And if you look at it, we tend to say we have more than 500 million followers on a worldwide scale. I'm not going to go into a discussion about we need to monetize all those and how do we do it. No, I'm just talking about the greatness and the scale of the brand. And we need to find a way how to monetize this. Because when we approach someone and come from AC Milan, people listen. So it's not only our duty as custodians of the club that we sort of keep driving the business, but it's also the interest of it. And, and we can also go down the route and talk about sort of more serious matters in, in the sense of CSR and our foundation in terms of how can we transmit and use our scale of a club to come across with strong messages. And one of them we, we fight very hard for is, is racism, right? So... So this is where we can also help. So it's not only from a commercial perspective and sitting here talking, but it's also using the brand in the right way and ultimately be a sustainable business. You must be thrilled with the investors that are taking over because you mentioned having to say, invest, invest, invest. You can't make money without no, spending I, money. Exactly. I'm, I'm very And now thrilled. they're focused on growth, I assume, which, which gives you the ability to go out and do a lot of these things. Yes. So, so we've been busy until now, but I can see where this is heading. We're going to be really busy and very excited about it because I truly believe that we can create the best club in the world here. I am truly believe with the right mindset, with the right ownership, I don't see why we can't be one of the greatest clubs of all time. And with, with this brand, with the history we have, having won seven Champions Leagues, there's a lot of potential to keep growing. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I know. Well, thank you for coming and uh, yeah. very happy to have you here. And if there's anything we can help with at any time. Yeah, we'll have to do this again in whether it's a year or two years or five years. I feel like a lot of things will change, which is good. A lot of things will change. And, and we sort of also taking the trophy to to the U.S. We are having a viewing party in, in, um, for our Juventus game in the 40-40 club. We did that successfully last year. And we have a huge fan base. And, and 
very passionate fan base in North America. And so, and, and maybe we're looking to come and play next summer. It's a very important market for us. So there's a lot of interesting projects coming on an international scale, not only North America, but we have to keep growing. All right, so if you're listening to this, October 8th, I think it is, the 4040 Club in New York City, there will be an AC Milan viewing party. And you can see the trophy, so. You can see the trophy, yeah. which is very cool. Yeah. But yeah, thanks again, Casper, for your time. This was amazing. No, I really enjoyed and it. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.